morning. We'll be in chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse uh, 24. So chapter 1, verse 24 of Romans. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonour their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is a blessed who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and in, re- in receiving in themselves that rec- recompense of their error which was meet. And even as, that, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not conv- convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Thank you. Encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First Timothy this morning. First Timothy chapter six. Looks like we're not going to be preaching on the woman of Revelation chapter twelve. So there you go. Some of you are happy about that. Looks like we've done a little better than preaching on that on Mother's Day. But uh, we'll see how well you like it when I introduce the title. So our text is 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 1 through 10. The title of the message is Christian Contentment in the Life of a Mother. You probably want to go to Revelation 12 now. (laughs) Christian Contentment in the Life of a Mother. I'll tell you how this came about. I was praying as to what the Lord would have me preach this morning, and I was studying and preparing on the book of Revelation chapter 12 as I didn't have any other direction and I was studying that and working my way through it. And um, But while I was doing that, I've, I've never preached on Mary ever. Not once in nearly 20 years of preaching have I preached on Mary. And so I'd been thinking about Mary a little bit and I uh, didn't really have any direction as to what to preach or how to, how to do that. And um, I was coming home, uh, it was my day Thursday down in Brisbane and uh, I was coming home Thursday afternoon, Mackenzie was driving and we got to the Bruce Highway car park about North Lakes and sitting there in a traffic jam and a family friend sent me a photo. Uh, she's down in South Australia, she drives harvesters and things and uh, she often sends me photos of scenery and different things and she uh, sent me a photo and uh, I said, well, your view sure beats my view. And I sent her a picture of my view of the traffic jam and I said, do you want to swap? And she said, no, Uh, very bluntly, exclamation marks. And I said, where is your Christian charity? And she responded back very quickly, keeping your, probably keeping your Christian contentment company. And so that was pretty sharp, wasn't it? And so uh, my response was, ouch, I'll pay you that one. And we left it at that. But as soon as she said that, as soon as I got that text message, and I've been praying the Lord to give me some direction, and, and the Lord just convicted me about my contentment, not about the traffic jam. Uh, I think I have every right to be discontent with the traffic jam. But um, it, uh, it struck me and um, strange when she, when she sent that to me. And I got thinking about Mary and as a mother and her contentment. And the Lord's just given me a few things I want to share with you this morning about Mary's contentment as a mother. And uh, so we're covering really Christian contentment in the life of a mother. And we're going to start in 1 Timothy and uh, then we'll go to Luke chapter 1. But once you've found your place in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'll ask you to stand if you're able to in reverence to the word of the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
And uh, we're going to read verse 1 down through verse 10. And I'll share some introductory thoughts with you. And then we'll look at Mary in a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honour, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Notice these next three verses. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will, but they that will, but they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing. Please help us, dear Lord, we pray this morning. God, I confess I need your help. And Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon me and may I be a blessing to those who are listening. God, help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our text verse, if we want one for an introduction, is verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The world system that we live in is focused upon gain. Gain of finance, gain of fun, gain of fame. Gain in every aspect of our lives. And if you're not gaining, you're losing. However, God says that contentment that is found alongside godliness is what really counts as gaining. The word content or contentment means a resting or satisfaction of mind without disquiet and disturbance. Let me read that definition again. Content or contentment is a resting or satisfaction of mind without disquiet and disturbance. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines contentment this way. It's a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. So rather having your desires jumping outside of the lot that God has for you, Your desires are contained within the lot that God's given you. It is opposed to envy, ambition, anxiety, and repining. Repining means sooking. It arises from the inward disposition and is is the offspring of humility and of an intelligent consideration of the rectitude and benevolence of divine providence, the greatness of the divine promise and our own unworthiness. It's a good definition. It's a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. And I find that it's something that I wrestle with is contentment and being discontent. And not just being satisfied and at rest with my lot. Contentment is to, to have, to be content is to have sufficient. Uh, I want you to turn here to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, chapter 9 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. 
Now, in our text verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, we find the word contentment. It's the only time you'll find that English word in your King James Bible, contentment. It's translated only one other time, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And the English word that's used is the word sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency, or you might say all contentment in all things, may abound to every good work. How can we have complete contentment? Well, it's because we can acknowledge that we have satisfactory. What we have is satisfactory. What we have is sufficient. Where we, we err from contentment is where we start repining and becoming anxious or aggravated or envious because we believe what we have is not sufficient. Mark 15 and verse 15, here uh, Pilate is seeking to release Jesus and give them Barabbas, but it says here, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas under them and delivered Jesus when he had scoured him to be crucified. The, 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 the people of that day, the Jewish people of that day, the religious order of that day were so disturbed and dissatisfied with the fact that Jesus was not going to be crucified that they kicked up such a stink that the only way that Pilate could, ten, could content them, could satisfy them, could put them at rest and make them quiet, the only way they could do that is deliver Jesus to them and release Barabbas. Do you see the picture? Proverbs 6 and verse 35 says, He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. This, this is speaking of a man whose wife has committed adultery upon him in Proverbs 6. And it says, it speaks of uh, uh, envy and, uh, and the, the right kind of envy and jealousy that a, a man has for his wife. And it, and it says, it doesn't matter how many gifts are given. It doesn't, he's never going to be set at rest. He's never going to be content. No matter if you go commit adultery with a woman, there, there is nothing you can do to content the husband of the woman that you committed adultery with. You, you, you can't give enough money, you can't give enough gifts to set his mind at rest and say, let's go time out, we're even. He's not going to be content with that. That's what Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 35, he will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. You're not going to be able to give him a ransom to content him. It's not going to happen. So do you see the picture of contentment? There in Proverbs 6.35, it, it speaks of rest content. Paul, in speaking of contentment, Paul says that it must be learnt. In Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, why is it that a Christian, why is it that Paul and why is it that you have to learn contentment? Well, very simply, your flesh is never content. Your flesh is never content. It doesn't matter how much you indulge in sin to try and satisfy the flesh, you're just going to have to continue indulging in sin because the appetite grows. The flesh is never content. That's why as a Christian, you must learn contentment. And Paul said that he'd learnt it. I wonder if anyone here can raise their hand with Paul and say, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, if you can't raise your hand, then this message is for you. The reality is, according to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, 
You're either covetous or content. Listen to the verse. I love the thing. I love the Bible. It's black and white. There's no middle of the road. There's no grey area when it comes to biblical doctrine. Covetous or content. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 says you're either covetous or you're content. And so I ask you this morning, are you content or are you covetous? Are there areas in your life that you are not at rest with and you're just disturbed and you want more? Luke chapter 3 and verse 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him saying, speaking of Jesus, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, no, actually to John the Baptist, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely. And he said to the soldiers, and be content with your wages. Can I ask, well, I won't ask you, but uh, can, would you be able to raise your hand and say in all sincerity before God, I'm content with what I get paid? Or, or, or are you like, well, a little more would do. A little more would be good. I could go some more. Uh, the flesh is never content. We always want more. Here's one more verse in, in, by way of introduction, just introducing you to the doctrine of contentment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10 puts it this way. Well, would you turn there, please? I'd like you to see it. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. If you find the book of Proverbs, which is in the middle of your Bible, thereabouts, you'll find Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. If you're in the, if you're in the book of the prophets, you just need to come back a little bit and you'll find Ecclesiastes, a small book, just after the book of Proverbs. You're looking for chapter 5 and verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says you're not going to be content if you love the wrong thing. If you're in love with silver and you're in love with finances and you're in love with fame and you're in love with fun and you're in love with everything that this world has to offer you, you will never be content even if you get it. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Doesn't matter how much you get, you're never going to be satisfied. You'll wait. You know, they, they interview those billionaires and those millionaires and they, how much, how much is enough? Well, just one more million. Well, just one more billion. They're not satisfied even though they have a bank account flowing over with money. So I'd like to draw your attention, with all that in mind, I'd like to draw your attention to Mary, the mother in the Bible, that displays great contentment throughout her life. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. And I just want to draw your attention to a few aspects of Mary's life where you find her at rest, satisfied of mind, without disquiet, without disturbance, without envy, without ambition, without anxiety, and without repining. That's the definition of contentment. In Luke chapter 1, we find, first of all, I'd like you to find, we, we, we see Mary's contentment in her calling. Point number one is in her calling. Luke chapter 1, and notice verse 26 down through verse 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. So he is, he is Joseph and he is a, a young lady, a young virgin, and she's a spouse to this man. She's engaged to this man by the name of Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And can I just say that we don't refer to as, as the virgin Mary. That's a Catholic term. She's no longer a virgin. Uh, she hasn't been a virgin for some 2,000 years. 
she was a virgin at this stage, but then she got married and she had children. She's no longer a virgin. She hasn't been a virgin for over 2,000 years. So we don't refer to her as the, as, as the, the uh, um, Virgin Mary. She was at this stage, however. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art high, highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She was like, that's a weird way to say hello. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And that's the biblical sense of knowing a man, that's lying with a man physically. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she had also conceived and a son in her, a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Here's a young lady and, uh, you know, she's a spouse to Joseph. She's just living a normal life. She's probably, you know, looking forward with excitement to her wedding. And, you know, there's a lot of excitement in and around that. And, and uh, you know, she's probably looking forward to it just being normal in that sense. And, and here she comes and an angel sits before her, stands before her and, and tells her that she's going to conceive before she even knows Joseph. And, in that conception, the, the babe that she's going to conceive and give birth to is going to be the very son of God and he's going to be named Jesus and he's going to be king and his kingdom's going to be forever. And it's not normal. And it, and it would have thrown great disturbance in the mind of most people. But here we see her response in verse 38. There's no questioning, there's no rebellion, there's no disobedience, there's no rising up, there's no go find someone else. She just says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Do you see her contentment in her submission? She just... She's able to be quiet. She's able to be still. There's no repining. There's no anxiety because she is submitted and content with the will of God for her life. Notice we don't only find her contentment in her calling through her submission, but it's also demonstrated not only by her submission, but by her speech. Notice verse 46 through verse 55. Notice what Mary says. She's speaking to her cousin Elizabeth. Notice verse 46 of the same chapter. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. So we see a contentment in Mary's calling. We see it demonstrated through her submission and through her speech. And the reason that she is able to speak with contentment is because she had a contented heart. 
Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Do you know why you speak discontentedly about things in your own life is because your heart is not satisfied. You're discontent in your heart and all of a sudden every now and then it jumps out your mouth. That's what happens. That's what happens. But we see with Mary, she's content in her calling. She said, so be it, Lord. Okay. And I wonder, are you content with your calling? The station that God has you and you might think, well, I, I wish I was that and I wish I was this and I wish that and I wish this. Ah, how we just need to be content in our calling that God has for us. In fact, that's the very definition of contentment, isn't it? A state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. We don't only find contentment in her calling, but the second thing I'd like you to notice this morning is we find contentment in her childbearing. Notice Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 7. Notice what it says. We're really just walking through the life of Mary very quickly and noticing how she's content in a number of different areas of her life. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. You see, it was her firstborn. It wasn't her only born. It was her firstborn. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We see contentment in her childbearing. Mary demonstrates contentment, first of all, in her travelling. Notice verse 5, if you would please. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And we know she was great with child. We know she was just days away from delivering her baby. And here she is having to travel from uh, she's, where's she traveling from? She's, she's traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Let me say this, ladies. She did not do that in an air-conditioned vehicle on a paved road. She, or, she either walked a dusty, rough road or she rode a dirty, rough donkey from A to B and you see no anxiety, you see no complaining, ladies, about the donkey not being comfortable enough, the air conditioner not working. Oh, we're getting real this Mother's Day. <laughs> we see contentment in a travelling. I wonder, ladies, can you find contentment in the way that God would have you travel? Or are you discontent? with how your husband provides for you, how God provides for you, want bigger wages, want flasher things. Uh, man, I thank the Lord for my wife. She's not perfect, but she's never once whinged about a vehicle. She never once whinged about the bank account. She's never once whinged about not being able to have this item or that item when money's tight. She's just been satisfied. And that probably comes from a raising, no doubt, in the way she was raised. But, you know, we, man, we had some dodgy cars, I tell you. <laughs> Seriously. The first one I had when, when we got married was a 1986 VL Commodore. And that sounds pretty good to some fellas, but you see, this VL Commodore was nothing flash. You had to actually get the, uh, the wiring cluster under the steering wheel and give it a rattle while you turn the key to get it started. Things would fall off and I think I paid about $1,500 for it from Kabulcha in 2001. So you can just imagine the condition of that thing. 
But we see Mary content in her traveling. We see Mary content in her travail. Notice verse 6 and 7. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We see the travail. We see her giving birth. Uh, She didn't have a private health cover. She wasn't in the flashiest hospital in the suburb. She wasn't even in a house. She wasn't even at a doctor's office. She was in a barn. She was in a shed. A dirty shed where animals feed and sleep. And she travailed in, in childbirth. I mean, I thank the Lord I've never given birth to a child, but could you imagine having to do that? You ladies that have given birth to a child, could you imagine doing that in a barn, in a shed? And then take, taking that baby and wrapping it and laying it in a feeding trough, which is what a manger is? I mean, would you be content with that? Or would you be saying, hey buddy, you better do better next time. I might put up with it this first child, but we're not doing this twice. You better have me some private health cover before I go through this again. Uh, do you see it? I don't see Mary whinging. I don't see her being envious of those in the hospital and those in homes. And No, she just was content with her lot. Just satisfied. Perhaps she was just thanking God, rejoicing that she had a roof over her head. Uh, We don't see her distressed in her travelling, her travail. Go with me. Hold your place in Luke chapter 2. We're coming back. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 for this next one. We see her content not only in her travelling, her travail, but also in her turmoil. And I'll explain what I mean when you get there. Luke chapter 2. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, sorry, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. And we see here the moment that Jesus is born, it's a tumultuous life. Again, it's not normal. And perhaps she had every right to think, well, you know, boy, it'd be nice to just be in my own home in the privacy of just me and my husband and my close family members and we could just quietly raise a child in this home and watch them grow and all the rest of it. But we don't see Mary. Mary does not have that life. She lives a life of turmoil. And we find that she's content in amongst the turmoil. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts Gold, frankincense and myrrh. He's only just been born and there's these bunch of strange weirdos come bursting in. No privacy. Mary's never met these individuals before. I mean, how would you like that in your birthing suite? A bunch of strange men come in with a bunch of strange gifts and bow down and worship your baby. And you're saying to your husband, would you get them out of here? I told you I didn't want any visitors for five days, except mum. (laughs) And you've got to have the whooping cough vaccine before you can touch my back. Oh, we better not go there. (laughs) Come on, ladies. We're talking about being content. We're talking about trusting the Lord. We're talking about being satisfied. We're just getting real. Dissatisfied. Satisfied. Notice they bow their verse and they, they, they present unto him gifts and gold, frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, 
they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and, he, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my name. Mary's just given birth. She's just travailed in a feed, in a, in a, in a feed barn. She's just laid her baby in a feeding trough. She's had strange men come and worship her baby straight after giving birth. And now these strange men have warned them about going back via Herod because Herod wants to kill her baby. And so they're going home a different route. But on the way, an angel doesn't appear to Mary, but appears to Joseph and tells Joseph, you better head down to Egypt. And so Joseph in the middle of, you know, and don't you think that Mary was probably thinking, well, it'll be nice to get home and back to my own bed and back to my own kitchen and out of this barn and back to home and family and we'll just settle back there. And, and she's got that in her mind as they're leaving and as they're traveling and her husband gets a message from God, you know, you better go to Egypt. And so Joseph looks over to Mary and says, Honey, I know you thought we were going home, but we're going to Egypt. Now, I wonder how you'd swallow that. I mean, Mary just had to submit to her husband on that. She just had to say, well, okay. No angel spoke into Mary's ear. No, the, the angel spoke to Joseph. And Joseph said to Mary, honey, we've got to go to Egypt. And what did she do? Well, she kicked up a fuss and she gave him the cold shoulder all the way to Egypt. He'd say, what do you feel like eating, honey? And she'd say, I don't care. <laughs> and then you had to try and decide and every option you came up with, she didn't want it. That didn't happen with Mary and Joseph. No, Mary just rest content. She said, okay, Joseph, me and the baby will follow you to Egypt. Have a look in verse 19. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19 through 23. And now they've been in Egypt a while, now Herod's dead. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph again. See, he's appearing to Joseph, not Mary. In a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they a dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Aracleus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Uh, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets he shall be called a Nazarene. So do you see her the turmoil of her life? She's gone from she's gone from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Egypt, Egypt, back to Nazareth. But now she's down there and perhaps she got comfortable in Egypt and she felt safe. But now she's having to go back into her homeland. And don't you think that she had every right to be concerned about her baby? But she wasn't concerned for the life of a baby. She just, again, submitted to Joseph and followed Joseph, went with Joseph back to where danger had once lied. So we see a contentment in not only her calling, but also in her childbearing. And it's demonstrated in her traveling, in her travail, and in her turmoil. Third thing this morning, I'd like you to notice uh, back in Luke chapter 2, go back in Luke chapter 2, Let's notice the third area of her life that we find contentment in. We find contentment in Mary's life in her son's commissioning. Her son's commissioning. Luke chapter 2, and I, I've used commissioning because I don't know what other word to use and you can call it what you want. And Luke chapter 2, verse. we're going to read from verse 25 to 35. And they've come to Jerusalem and they've come there to worship the Lord. And it says in verse 25, and they come to the temple, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And 
the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Notice it, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We see here this gentleman has been waiting for what's referred to as the consolation of Israel. He'd been waiting for Jesus. And when Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus walked into the temple into Jerusalem that day, the Holy Ghost told this gentleman, that's him. That's the consolation of Israel. That's who you've been waiting for. And we're not told that Mary and Joseph knew this individual. But this strange man comes up and takes that baby in his hands and declares all that he's going to be and all that he's going to accomplish in his life. And would you notice verse 35? And he says this to Mary in amongst it all. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. By him saying that, he's declaring that a sword is going to pierce through his soul. Notice it. He said, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. He was declaring to Mary that this child, this baby of hers, was going to be pierced. Pointing to the cross of Calvary. And he said that not only is he going to be pierced, but you're going to be pierced as well. You're going to have much sorrow as well. And do you, I want you to notice that in the commissioning of her son, in the declaration of what's going to not only happen to her son, but happen to her own soul also, we see her contentment, her contentment demonstrated by her lack of protest. There is no protest. There is no, there is no running and clutching that baby out of his hands and fleeing from the temple. There, there is no, oh, woe is me. Why do I have to, why can't I just be a normal mum with a, a normal baby? But no, she's just content. And we see that she's content. It's demonstrated by her lack of protest. When you start protesting, you know in your heart that you're not content with the situation. We see her not only content in her son's commissioning, but we see her content in her son's calling. Uh, hold your place in Luke, but go with me to John chapter 2, if you would please. So here we see Jesus. Jesus was fairly young in that commissioning there in, in Luke chapter 2, but now we, we jump forward about 30-odd years to where his, Jesus is now in his early 30s and he's starting his earthly ministry upon earth. And, and we see that Mary has walked through him all this way and, and with him all this way. And we see as Jesus is fulfilling his calling, again we see Mary content. In John chapter 2 and verse 1 through 5. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And 
when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus, that's Mary, saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Here's Mary, the same Mary we've already spoken of, with her son who's now in his 30s, beginning his earthly ministry. They're at a wedding. Mary seems, the mother of Jesus there in verse 3, Mary is concerned there's no wine. She goes to her son and, and says to Jesus, there's no wine. And his response was not, it's okay, mum, I'll take care of it. His response seems somewhat disrespectful. He saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now I can imagine me saying that to my mum. And if dad overheard it, it really wouldn't go well. But he's, he, you know what the Lord Jesus is doing? He's rebuking his own mum. He's gently correcting her. And he's saying, you don't understand what's happening. It's not the right timing. You just need to wait. I've got it under control. Now, she, now she did not get sideways at her son over that. She did not get a bad attitude, though reproved. And so we see her contentment demonstrated by her humility when reproved. Because notice her response in verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. She didn't get her back up. She didn't get sideways. She just said, whatever he tells you to do, Make sure you do it. Do you see her humility when reproved? But go with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. You might ask, well, why did Jesus reprove her? Well, because there was a bigger picture at play. She didn't see the big picture. Jesus being God, we learned about that in discipleship this morning, he, he being deity, Jesus knew the big picture. And so she identified the fact that her son could see the bigger picture and she couldn't. And so she was humble in reproof. But notice also in Matthew chapter 12, uh, let's start in verse 46. Again, this is the Lord Jesus just fulfilling his calling and living his calling out. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. And he answered and said unto unto him that told him, Who's my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now most most mums and dads and brothers and sisters would get sideways with a, with a sibling and a child that rebuffed them. And we see her contentment demonstrated by Not only her humility when reproved, but her humility when rebuffed. He's gathered, he's there with the whole people gathered, and he's speaking to this multitude of people, and his mum and his brethren come, and they're wanting to speak to him. And the people say, hey, your mum's outside, she wants to speak to you. And his response isn't, okay, I better go. His response was, who's my mother? Who is my brethren? And then he goes forward and and again, because there's a a bigger truth at play, there's a bigger picture at play that Jesus is trying to demonstrate. And he's even in rebuffing his own mother, he's using that as an illustration to get truth across to his disciples. 
Mum didn't get a backup. She didn't not text him or call for three weeks. She no, she she just she she understood. She had enough humility to be able to just take the rebuff and move forward. And we see that she's content in her son's calling. Then lastly and fifthly this morning, we see her contentment in her son's crucifixion. Go with me, if you would, please, to Luke 23. And can I remind you, this is the woman that not only carried this baby in her womb for nine months, went through the travail of giving birth to that baby, fed that baby, cleaned that baby, Watch that baby start crawling, start walking, start disputing with the Pharisees at the age of 12. Watched him grow into a man and get calluses on his hands as he learned his father's trade as a carpenter. And can I just say these pictures of Jesus as a sissified hippie just doesn't do it for me, I'm afraid. He is a man's man. He was a carpenter. He had calluses upon his hands. You know, he was so much of a man that he didn't even need battery-operated tools. Too bad Ian's not here. We could pay out on him a little bit about how soft he is for using powered tools. Luke chapter 23. But remember... The life that Mary has lived watching her son grow and she's walked with him the whole way for over 30 years. She's watched him interact with people, heal people, bless people, rebuke people. And she's walked with him through it all. And she's walked content through every bit of it. We come now to the closing of his earthly life in Luke 23. I'd like you to notice verse 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Notice verse 49. And all his acquaintance, I believe that would include his mother, and the women that followed him from Galilee, stood afar off, beholding these things. Notice verse 55. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and beheld the sepulchre, and how his body was laid. I want you to find, so keep that in mind. We followed the book of Luke all the way through. Now let's go to John chapter 19, and we find a little more detail about who one of the women was. Where is Luke 19, verse 25. Oh, sorry, John 19, verse 25. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. I want to suggest to you that Mary demonstrates her contentment in her son's crucifixion by her presence and peace. Was she weeping? Did she mourn the death of her son? No doubt. But we do not see a woman hysterical beside herself, full of anxiety, anger, frustration. Oh no. There's been a contentment from her very calling. Down through her life as she's watched her son from the cradle to the cross... There's been contentment all the way. 
And she stands him. Oh, no doubt with a heart broken. As was testified and prophesied at the commissioning of her son that her very soul will be pierced. And no doubt it was when she witnessed her dear son dying on the cross. But we see her contentment. She's satisfied. She's quiet. She's still. She's peaceful. Though mourning. And we see her contentment demonstrated by her very presence and her peace. You know, there'd be a lot of mothers that just wouldn't be able to bear seeing it. They'd send somebody else perhaps in their place. But Mary had been with him from the cradle all through his calling and she wasn't about to abandon him at the cross. And she stood satisfied, she stood content even though she's looking upon that child that she bore ripped to pieces, his flesh torn from off him, his beard plucked. He didn't even look human anymore. They'd beat him so bad. And here he is dying on the cross for your sin and for mine. And oh, do you see her Christian contentment in the life of this mother? We also see it not only in her presence and her peace, but I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We see it in her perseverance. There's lots can be said in all these different points, but just trying to point out a few high spots. Acts chapter 1, just over a couple of pages in the Acts chapter 1. And I'd like you to notice verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. I want to suggest to you that her contentment is demonstrated by her perseverance. I dare say if a lot of women, if they had have witnessed their son go through such agony, pain and humiliation, a lot of women would quit. A lot of women would say that hurt too much. I'm dissatisfied with what God allowed. Oh no. Not Mary. Here she is after Jesus has ascended back. And you see that in the early verses of Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends back to glory. And after Jesus ascends to glory, what do we find Mary doing? Just continuing on. How is contentment manifest in the life of a Christian? Well, even though you get a few knocks... You just persevere and continue on. There's many Christians have quit because they've grown discontent with their lot and they're dissatisfied with what God has allowed them to go through. Go back with me to 1 Timothy. We'll go back to where we started and we'll close here. 1 Timothy Chapter 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I was thinking about this. There's a lot of people that are lost that are content. I mean, they're lost, they're wicked, they've never been saved. You know, I, I think about... I think about The picture that came to me was the, the old-fashioned Aussie swagman. He had no great ambitions. He had a swag and a billy. The clothes on his back and he just drifted around, picked up a bit of work here and there, found a shady tree and a billabong, perhaps stole a sheep or two. But what I'm saying is there's people that are content in their lost state. 
And contentment outside of godliness is not great gain. It would be good for you to grow discontent in your lot that it might drive you to Jesus. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And all that you and I as the children of God could get to a place perhaps like Mary, perhaps like Paul, and be able to raise our hand and say, whatsoever state I am in, I've learned to be therewith content. How content are you? Well, the flesh surely is not content. But can I encourage you to repent of your covetousness and be content with your lot. Be at rest. Be quiet. Be still. Be satisfied in the providence and the promises of a loving Heavenly Father. And I believe that's where Mary found her rest and contentment because it was she'd found her satisfaction She'd found her contentment in God and the promises of God rather than the things of this world. 